from the book of James. And if anyone uh, knows where uh, uh, the book of James is, it's right over near the back of the New Testament, right over near the back. And so if you get to the book of Hebrews, it's one book along, uh, the book of James. I'm going to read from chapter 1, verses 2 to verse 8, and uh, then we're going to talk about some about that. Okay. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Oh. <laughs> what a way to start. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man uh, ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And of course, tonight, that little phrase, a double-minded man, is what we're going to be having a look at. I just want to pray, and then we're going to share about that, some of that, and, uh, and we'll have a bit of a look at this. Father, Lord, we pray for your blessing on your word. I pray, Father, that you would do a real good work here. And, Father, I pray for every one of us, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts, you'd speak into our minds, uh, Lord, and into the deepest part of our very soul. Lord Jesus Christ, may you have your way. Lord, I thank you and honor you, and I pray for your blessing on every person here. In your name, Lord. Amen. Okay. Now, um, I've called this series uh, Doubts Upon Doubt. Uh, you can look at that two ways, is doubts upon doubt upon doubt upon doubt, <laughs> or the other one is doubts, having doubts about doubt itself. And so that's really where I want to actually uh, use the latter explanation as that. Now, uh, what I found, uh, some people have doubts for various reasons. Uh, some people have doubts about God because they can't see God. And they go, well, I've got some doubts. Uh, they have doubts about the Bible because they believe the Bible is a book written by men. Or, you know, they've got doubts about a church like ours because they think it's a cult. Uh, you, you ever heard, you know, people have that sometimes those feelings? And, um, and certainly there's some doubts about the preacher. Is it right? <laughs> okay. Now, some people uh, can visit church and they have some doubts uh, whether it's a good church, whether it's a loving church, or whether uh, the people here, uh, you know, behind the scenes are fighting like cats and dogs or something like that. There can be all doubts that way. And some people uh, can have doubts uh, about questions they've never had answers for. And, um, and we're going to touch on some of those throughout this series about questions that a lot of people have that never were given an answer to. And we're going to look at some of those. And, um, and what I want to do here is I don't want to be embarrassed by any thoughts or questions that people have. It's a good idea maybe to come and, and say, oh, you're going to mention that one. Uh, we will do that as we go. Uh, there was a book written by a man uh, several years ago, uh, a guy called Charles Templeton. Now, you, you don't know who Charles... Anyone know who Charles Templeton is? Anyone? Only Sue. You know, who's heard of Billy Graham? Okay, you all heard of Billy Graham. Well, Charles Templeton was the contemporary preacher of the day to Billy Graham when Billy Graham first started, except Charles Templeton had the more powerful ministry. 
than Billy Graham's. Matter of fact, uh, Billy Graham was said to be the shadow, in a way, of Charles Templeton in power of delivery, of preaching, of, of ability. Now, you might notice the book that's here is Charles Templeton, and the title is Farewell to God. Is because he actually, to, uh, well, he's now dead. He died about uh, two years ago of Alzheimer's disease. And Charles Templeton rejected totally the Christian faith. Uh, he rejected all religion and uh, ended up a complete agnostic. Um, and uh, if anyone's ever read Lee Strobel's book, A Case for Faith, um, is you'll know if you ever read that book, and I highly recommend it, it follows why Charles Templeton left the faith and then goes to see were there answers for why Charles Templeton rejected the Christian faith. Now, throughout this series, we're going to look at some of that and we're going to return to Charles Templeton, why he entered a world of doubts and ended up in unbelief. Uh, and we'll have a little look at that. Hebrews eleven six. Uh, it just says this. It says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. And for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's rewarder of those who seek him. Now, faith is the very core of Christianity. Now, faith doesn't just believe that God is there. Faith actually be, uh, believes God exists, but he's also true to the character that the Bible depicts him as. And that's the important thing about faith. Not that God exists. Uh, matter of fact, uh, something like nearly 70% of the people in Australia when surveyed will say, I believe God exists. But not many believe that God is true to the character he's depicted in in the Bible. Now, faith must believe that God is the rewarder of those who seek him. Now, this leads us to the issue of doubts. Now, uh, Matthew 21 21 to 22. And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not what? Doubt. Uh, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but even you can say to this mountain, be taken up, cast into the sea. It will happen, Jesus says. Now, the issue is of dealing with doubt. Because the moment you zero in on dealing with doubt, you actually go to the very core of the Christian faith, which is about faith itself. And so we're going to be uh, looking at that particular area. And as you see, I hope by the series, at the end of this series, you're going to begin to doubt doubt itself. Um, and so hopefully I'll explain what I mean when we get there. Now, James 1, t- 1 uh, 2 to 8, is the book of James, actually, if you ever do a little reading of the New Testament, you'll realize that the little epistle or little letter of James is the closest thing to a sermon we have in the New Testament. Uh, uh, it is written as a sermon that someone nearly preaches. Uh, it's a little, in a way, disjointed, a lot of thoughts strung together. And it's immensely true to real life. And it's just a very practical sermon. Now, uh, verse 2 uh, just says, Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. Note it doesn't say if. I've got good news for you. <laughs> You're going to have some trials. 
It's just a matter of when. And so it's when trials come, and the reason we can count it all joy is because these trials will come in a variegated, multifaceted way. We're all affected differently by those, but it will purify your faith. Now, at the moment, I can't see the sense of some things in life. Have you ever done a tapestry? Anyone, you know, or seen people do tapestries? If you look at the downside uh, as doing the tapestry, it's just a mess, isn't it? But then you turn it up the other way and suddenly you see what everything is all about. Well, that's a little bit like life. Is, is this life, you go through this life and we're looking at the downside of the tapestry. But there will come a point of time where God turns it around the other way and you'll understand why things were the way they were. Now, uh, James continues and goes, Let endurance have its perfect results that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Now, verse 5 is the key verse here. Uh, or, or, or a part of the key or what I want to look at, it goes, but if any of you lacks, now uh, that word lacks is the key word, and it connects the two sections, uh, the trials to this part about doubts. And it goes, when you lack, you, uh, what, what you lack is wisdom. You can't see that the, you're only looking at the downside of the tapestry. You're not looking on the top side. And so often we lack wisdom on what uh, you know, things actually mean. And, and verse 5 just says, But if you lack wisdom... Ask God, he'll give to all men generously. Now, it's interesting that word generously, uh, my translation in the English, in the original language this is written in, the Greek language, uh, that's a very interesting word. It's, it, it, it's just not the word generous or whatever you've got in your translation. It means single-minded or one-eyed. That's what it means. So God gives single-minded or one-eyed to people. Um, And that's interesting because in verse 8, it gets down to the what? The double-minded man. But here God is single-minded. And God will give you the wisdom in the particular situation. Uh, And so the problem is not the trial. It is not that our God will give us wisdom. The problem is that often we don't ask God for the wisdom, for the understanding in that situation. Now, verse 6. Now we're getting closer to where we want to get to. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Now, this leads us to this whole area of doubting. Now, without any doubting. Now, doubt. Uh, normally I don't do this when the, you don't fully understand the word, but the Greek word is dikrino, uh, and, and, and that's actually, um, let me just explain why I put it there, and I know we've got little ears and probably not following this, but let me put it here, is di is the word that just means two. You see that? Uh, division, two. Uh, that's what the word means. Now, it means to sever or separate apart. In other words, it means two ways. Two ways. Uh, and so the King James translation says, without wa- any wavering. Wavering. Um, uh, and so let me explain then what is doubt. And we'll flick this up on the screen. Doubt is simply this. Is doubt is when you are torn between two opinions. Uh, you know, as a big word, vacillate. Uh, wavering, hesitating, you can't make up your mind, you call things into question, you know, you've got reservations or you're perplexed. You don't know whether you should believe or whether you should not believe. Uh, You're not sure. You come to church, you hear me, then you go home, you turn the TV set on, and there's some guy telling you there that everything I'm saying is but rubbish. 
You hear what I'm saying? So people get torn in two. They get torn in two, um, uh, two ways. Doubt, actually, the English word comes from the Latin word, which just means uh, two-minded. Uh, that's that's what, it, what it means. Now, uh, now, what I need to say is here is doubt is not the opposite of belief. What's the opposite of belief? Unbelief. Now, let me put it this way to you. Is, let's say we were dealing with a soldier, you know, and a soldier is, is, is going to go in and, and fight somewhere. Now, he needs courage. But the opposite of courage is not fear because every soldier experiences fear. You hear what I'm saying? The opposite of courage is cowardice. That's the opposite. Now, what a soldier needs to do is learn how to conquer his fears. And actually, if you actually uh, ever hear, you know, some of the the soldiers that are are classed as real heroes, when you you actually watch the reporters go interview them, do you think you're a hero? And he goes, no, I didn't think I was a hero. Uh, Not at all, he'll go. Why does does he say that? It's because he was full of fear. But he learned to conquer his fears to receive the result. And so the opposite of belief is unbelief. And that's when there is a conscious decision to reject God. There's a conscious decision. Now, doubts is not the opposite of belief. Doubt is a halfway house. It lives halfway between belief and unbelief. Now, uh, probably the best way to depict this is, um, well, verse 8 here. Uh, Notice that it goes, being a double-minded man. He's schizophrenic and so am I. He can't make up his mind. He's not sure uh, whether he should go this way or whether he should go that way. First Kings 18 to 21 tells a story about Elijah on um, on Mount Carmel. And uh, uh, you can flick. Uh, yeah, it just goes there. Elijah came near to the people and said, How long will you hesitate between what? Two opinions. Uh, and he goes, If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer a word. It's because they were ensnared in doubt. That's where they were. And there's a lot of people that way. They're not really consciously unbelievers. They're just ensnared in this halfway house of doubt. So let me give you an illustration of how doubt works. I'm sure uh, you might have seen pictures of World War I. My grandfather was actually right at this spot, Flanders, in France in, in 1916-17. And a lot, of, a lot of Aussies lost their life on that little patch of ground. Now, what happened was there was one side, there were these trenches dug, and then there was this land called No Man's Land. And that's actually a photo of No Man's Land from World War I. And the soldiers had to cross that No Man's Land to reach the other side where there were another group of trenches where half the world was dug in across Europe. Uh, And so it's that land in the middle which is No Man's Land. Now, that is the equivalent of what the Bible calls doubt. It doesn't belong to belief. It doesn't belong to unbelief. Now, this is the thing. If you're going to do battle in the Christian life, you've got to cross no man's land. Now, all the soldiers knew that. that, that that's where the real battle was fought, was in this jolly, ugly country called no man's land. Now, the reason that's a problem is 
to take the enemy ground, it's got to be crossed. And everyone shoots at you at no man's land. Your guys, the bad guys, everyone shoots at you. Um, and, you know, is it's in no man's land where you can be taken prisoner. And it's in no man's land that you can get trapped there indefinitely. My grandfather told stories about men trapped out in no man's land for days and days on end as they were trapped out uh, in the middle there. No one could go and get them. Now, that is about the closest picture to doubt uh, that I know in, in uh, certainly what I, I believe biblical doubt um, when we're speaking about it. It doesn't belong in belief. It doesn't belong in unbelief. But if you're going to do spiritual warfare, every person has got to cross no man's land. Everyone's got to go, got to go across there at some stage. Now, John Bunyan, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, anyone ever read Pilgrim's Progress here? John Bunyan talks about doubt, and, he, and, and there was a castle called Doubting Castle that was run by a giant called Giant Despair. Now, that's a problem with doubt. It can lead to despair, and, of course, the Giant Despair's wife was diffidence, and uh, he wants to lock you in a dungeon. Uh, now, yes, this is very important, what I'm going to say here, is all people doubt. Did you hear what I just said? Is Christians, people who aren't Christians, agnostics, atheists, everyone doubts. Now, this is really important uh, that you all understand that. Now, what does doubt say? Let me flick this on the screen. Uh, now, doubt just says, I can't see all things. In other words, this big Bible word, omniscience, God is omniscient. He knows all things. But do you know all things? Matter of fact, you took all the knowledge of the world, I guarantee you only know a little skim of the surface of all that knowledge in the world. And so when you doubt, you just declare, well, I don't know all things. And the other thing about doubt, it just declares I can't be everywhere. Is I, I can't be everywhere. I can't be omnipresent and, and be everywhere to know this thing. I See, I'm not God. Therefore, I can have doubts. Um, declares, I can't control all things. I'm not omnipotent like God who has all power. Now, because of those reasons, by nature, in my very being, I must at some point trust or have faith. You hear what I'm saying there? I must have faith or trust. Now, this is why a man like C.S. Lewis, who was the novel novelist who wrote Narnia, um, he wrote a book called Joy by the Surprise, and it was about the doubts he had as an atheist. Do you believe that? When he was an atheist, he had really bad doubts. Then he wrote another book right at the end of his Christian life um, called A Grief Observed, and it was about his wife as she died of cancer. And it was a book about, again, the doubts he had. So as an atheist, he had doubts, and as a Christian, he had doubts. Because everyone has just got to cross no man's land. doesn't matter which side of the fence you're from, you're going to get into no man's land some t stage. Now let me say a few big misconceptions or, or misperceptions of doubt. The very first one, some people say it's dishonest to have doubts. That's not what the Bible says, friends. It just says, don't stay in doubt. Don't stay and be a double-minded man. Um, now, doubt can have true value. Now, let me give you an example of that. Um, not all things are true. Do you realize? So I should have doubts about some things and about some people. Um, is I shouldn't trust everyone. 
Now, a lot of people are going to come, believe me, believe me. Now, I shouldn't trust everyone, so I should have doubts about some people. Or uh, some things, uh, to be honest, I need to doubt. There's a Chinese proverb, and it just puts it this way. With great doubts come great understanding. With little doubts comes little understanding. I like that. Because it's true. No, no, like you find the people that have actually worked through the, the greatest doubts usually end up in the greatest faith. Usually. Um, now, now, doubt is just like, uh, you know, you're driving down the road and the light is green and the light is red. What's the other colored light? Amber. And it just says, you can run this light. You can run it, but use caution. Now, doubt is the same. You can run in doubt. But don't stay there long. It changes quickly. And use caution when you actually have particular doubts. Now, what doubt just does is, is, is it's asking the question, am I going to trust God? Am I going to trust other people? Or am I going to trust myself? Um, that's what doubt is really doing. Now, Matthew 6.24 just says this, No man can serve two masters, for either hate the one and love the other, or are devoted to one and despise the other. In other words, you should not stay in doubt for long. You need to resolve it quickly. Now, uh, there was a man called Oz Guinness who wrote a book called Faith in Two Minds. And he just said this, It is what we doubt and not how we doubt that sets the market value of doubting. And so for that reason, uh, you know, People who are atheists, uh, people who are animists, uh, all these different people, they all have doubts. And often that's why they react the way they do. Now, the second misperception is only people of faith have doubts. That's not true, friends. You know, uh, some years ago uh, in, the, in the city of Coffs Harbour there, uh, there was an atheist there. And his wife came along to our church for a time there in Coffs. And what happened was uh, she said, I want you to come home and have dinner with my atheist husband. He's been waiting to see you. Now, when I came for dinner, uh, I came there. He's a doctor in, in, in the town of Coffs Harbour. And he had two of these tables pushed together. And he had every atheist magazine written from 1970 stacked this high in a line, two tables long, waiting for me to come for this dinner date. Now, I walked through the door and I went, this is going to be an interesting dinner. <laughs> and he was into it. Uh, we got into dinner and as he's talking through, but I knew he was a man filled with doubts. As a matter of fact, he was really insecure. And by the end of that meeting, he was a little more, more insecure uh, is because uh, there was issues he knew he couldn't resolve uh, because he didn't have all knowledge. He didn't have all power. He didn't know all things. Now, uh, the third misperception is doubt is evil like unbelief. Uh, where unbelief is the one that rejects God. No, no, friends. Doubt is just no man's land. It's just no man's land. And, and, and what happens is, is when you're in a trial, is, is the pressure comes up and you end up in no man's land. You find you're in a place where everyone's shooting at you. Anyone ever felt that? The church is shooting at you? Is the TV shooting at you? Is, is your friends are shooting at you? And you go, boy, <laughs> it's rough business here in no man's land. Now, um, so verse 6 here of James says, For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. So what it's saying is the doubter, uh, one moment he's on a high, next moment he's in a trough. He doesn't know where he stands. And, and the reason he can't expect anything from God, because he's not come out of no man's land. 
He's still in this land of doubt. And so um, uh, let me illustrate this for you. Uh, when I went to Hawkesbury Ag College years and years ago, uh, when it was real hot in summer, we went out to this place to go swimming. And there was this really high diving rock. Anyone ever died off, or dived off a 10-meter diving board? Well, this rock was nearly as high as that, nearly 10 meters. And I remember the first time I ever dived on it. I, I stood there and I looked at it and I went, whoa. And, and I, I went back and I went, I can't look at this. I've just got to go. So I just went and I, the first time is the hard time. And I went and I dived. And then after a while, my mate and I got real cocky, you know, and we're just diving away. And what happened, one of my friends, uh, one of our associates turned up and he was watching us dive off this real high rock. And he goes, I'm going to give that a go. And so what he did is he came up. And he stood next to us, and he stood there, and he looked down from the top. And you ever notice when you look down the top, you just go, wow. <laughs> it looked easy from the bottom. But when you're up there, man, it is high. And so here he was standing there, but he was determined to give it a go. So he launched himself off the rock. Now, what he did was this. He went, I'm going to dive. And then a split second later, he went, no, I'm going to jump. And he tried to go and reverse. And then he went, no, I'm going to dive. And then I'm going to jump. No, I'm going to dive. And he went all the way down 10 meters. And guess which way he landed? Flat on his belly. And I remember looking at that. He came up like a prawn, mate, that had just been cooked. He, he, was as, he was as stung as you could see. And I remember him when his head rose from the water. His first thing was, Oh! <laughs> he was in wounding and agony. And, I, and, and when, I, when I was putting this together, I went, that is the results of one who could not resolve his doubt. He had two minds. And if you're going to stay in two minds, friends, there's a short period of time you've got to pull out. You've got to either dive or you've got to jump. Don't get stuck halfway. Now, uh, Verse 8 here says, the doubter is unstable in all his ways. One of the Bible translations, New English Bible says, he can't keep a steady course. One writer called, doubt the polio of faith. Now, let me illustrate everything I've said here tonight, because it's probably the most wonderful picture in the New Testament of someone who got stuck in two minds. And uh, anyone know who that would be in the New Testament? Let me give you a clue. It's one of Jesus' disciples. Thomas? No. Actually, we're going to come back to Thomas in this series. Everyone calls him poor old Doubting Thomas. Um, but in fact, um, uh, we'll see a little different thing with Thomas. Now, one of Jesus' disciples, he was even in a better position of doubt. Yeah, is Peter. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles here, if you've got them, to Matthew 14. And we're going to read just a, a little bit of a story. You'll know it well. And what happens is uh, Jesus has sent his disciples to row across the lake of Galilee. Now, they set off, and Jesus is up praying on top of a hill. And what happens is they set off just to row across the lake, you know, about 6K or whatever it is, 10K across the lake. Now, what happens is it's, it's an interesting place. It's actually uh, below sea level, and because of that, it's a freshwater lake. It gets really violent storms that descend on that particular lake. Uh, anyone ever been on the Great Lakes in the USA? Anyone, anyone actually been to Sea Galilee? No one, no one here? Well, it's below sea level. And because of that, it's unusual. Now, um, 
what happens is the wind comes from a contrary direction. It's, it's a really angry, violent, boiling sea that actually can happen in the Sea of Galilee. And what happened, these guys have been rowing for six to eight hours trying to get across the other side and they're getting nowhere. And what the Bible says, uh, actually, if we uh, just have a look here, Matthew fourteen twenty eight. Let's have a look here. Um, uh, or we just come a little bit forward. Um, verse 24, And the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, and the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., he came to them. That's Jesus walking on the sea. Now, just some of you are going to say, hang on, hang on. That sounds a little bit stretched to me, walking on the water. No, friends, I've, I've walked on the water in Siberia in February. <laughs> no problem at all. Now, now, the Bible doesn't say Jesus came flying through the air. Now, that would be silly. Jesus comes walking on the water. You see, water will hold you up. It's got the structure to do that. It just needs the right context. Now, when Jesus came walking across the water, is the Creator was walking on that water. The creation just obeyed Him. You see, it's not silly stuff. It, it, it actually is that water in its structure was holding Jesus up. It was a miracle, yes. It happened the once, but that is what happened. Now, Jesus comes across the water. Now, the Bible says uh, that they're straining on the oars, Mark's gospel says. Now, what happens is if we come down there and we come to verse 28, Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water and came towards Jesus. Now, that sounds pretty cool. Now, this is the only time this miracle ever happened. Now, I know people preach this stuff and say, well, you can have a miracle in your finances. It's like walking on water. No, friends, this is a miracle about walking on water. This happened once. You might can maybe apply it that way, but this is a miracle miracle. And Peter gets out and he starts to walk on the water. And, but then verse 30, notice there's a trial. And seeing the wind, he becomes frightened and he begins. Notice that. How is he sinking? The Bible says he's beginning to sink. He's not sunk. He's beginning to sink. And he cries out. Now, let me just put it this way to you. You see, Peter, we know from the Bible, uh, he is a guy who knew how to swim. Uh, matter of fact, in John 21, he sees Jesus on the beach. He swims to meet Jesus. Now, also know Peter was a bloke who knew how to walk. The Bible actually talks about that. He walked all over Palestine with Jesus. He knew how to walk. Now, the problem with this, he ain't sunk and he ain't walking. He's halfway in between. So what do we call that? A swunk. <laughs> it's, it is, he, he, is, he is not walking. He's not swimming. He's halfway between. Now that is a problem because it's not resolved. If he is in the water and he's in a position to swim, he could have swum. But he's not. And he's not walking. Is, he's not in a position where he's walking. And he's in a real problem. Now look at what happened. Immediately, he, he, he cries, Lord, save me. Uh, immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you what? Doubt. You see, what happens here is Peter is a man of two minds. He's stuck in no man's land and he's not swimming and he's not walking. He's in a bad spot. Now, Jesus zeroes in on that and uh, and so uh, Peter is in an unresolved position. Now, 
when Jesus, when Peter calls out in prayer and he goes, he prays and goes, help me, who came to him? Jesus himself. You see, who is the wisdom of God? Jesus himself. Now, what did James say? If any of you are struggling and you're only looking at the downside of the tapestry, says, why don't you ask God? He will bring you wisdom. Now, in this case, Jesus, who is wisdom himself, comes walking across the water. Now, I will guarantee you, if only you'll be honest with your doubts, and this is the key, if you can be honest with your doubts, God will bring an answer to them every time at some stage. I I can say that with all my heart. I guarantee that Jesus will come to you And sometimes that will be through an answer. Sometimes it will just be through his presence. Sometimes it will be a touch of his hand. Sometimes it will even be a call to repentance. But friends, he'll definitely bring an answer for you. Now, this then leads us to conclude tonight. There are many kinds of doubt. You see, uh, as many people in this room, there's probably as doubts. Now, some people doubt uh, here. Oh, let me just say one more thing that's very important. The end result, just go back to that last scripture, Sue. The end result of that is the resolution of it was what? Worship. Once doubts are resolved and wisdom is answered, it leads to worship. Now, friend, if you're honest with your doubts, it will lead you to get a great revelation of God and to worship him. And I find most people are just not honest with their doubts. That's the problem. So let me just come here. Some people's doubts, as we sum all this up together, some people have doubts because they've got a wrong presupposition of God. Next week we'll look at that. The cynical data is someone who's already made up his mind what he thinks about God. He's already made up his mind. But it's a wrong conclusion. He's actually got a wrong presupposition, we'd call it. Now, other people are ignorant. They are just ignorant. They don't have, you know, some people come along. um, uh, Anyone ever seen um, that movie Contact starring Jodie Foster? Anyone ever see that movie? It was was based on a book by Carl Sagan, and it was about his life. And Carl Sagan rejected the church because no one could answer him, where did Cain get his wife? And that's the key line in the movie. Because that was never answered, Carl Sagan went into a life of atheism because no one could give him an answer. Now, that's a very simple question to answer, but no one ever gave him an answer, so he was ignorant. Now, the next thing there is people can have intellectual questions, and they're genuine questions. What about this? What about that? You know, I don't know whether I should become a Christian because what about this? What about that? You know, what about the, you know, the, the, the Oshos? What about all the religions of the world? Why is there so much suffering, you know, in the world? Come on, answer that one, they'll say. Or, or they'll come along and they'll go, you know, I believe in evolution and that everything just came by chance. All these things are all intellectual questions. Now, are there answers for those? I believe there are, if you're honest to your doubts. Now, sometimes people can doubt because of spiritual issues. And we'll look at this in this series. They haven't got legitimate questions. There are spiritual issues of why they've got doubts. Other people, it's in their thinking. And, and uh, it's, uh, we'll get to that. And some people doubt because there's moral issues involved. And we'll get to that too. And so what happens, if I can just put it this way, uh, you know, I... Uh, 
for the last eight years, I regularly go overseas to, uh, say, Russia, uh, a lot of times to India. And, uh, and before I ever go overseas, um, I go to the doctor's. And what I do is I go there is because what the doctor does is he's going to immunize me against disease. Now, better to immunize you against the disease than go to the country and get the disease and then they try and treat you. You hear what I'm saying? Now, doubt leads to disease. It can lead to unbelief. You'll either go to faith or you go to unbelief if you're in no man's land. Now, what happens here? And this is what's really important is you've got to identify the disease-causing agent or what has caused people to doubt. Now, you're going to have friends. I guarantee you, as many people in this room, you've got friends of people who've got doubts why they won't accept Christ and the message of the gospel, which is the good news. A lot of people do that. Now, what happens, what I want to do in this series, I am going to identify those doubts that lead to the disease of unbelief, and I'm going to immunize you. You hearing what I'm saying? Because when you're immunized, you can't get the disease. Is You've already been protected against that disease. And you see, when you're healthy, you don't sit there and analyze your health. You just live your life. You're healthy. And, and so it's only when you're feeling sick that you actually look for the cause of what is making you sick. Now, a lot of people are sick in their faith is because there's disease, and they haven't identified that disease-causing agent. And so that's what we're going to do, and I'll put this up here, and this is what we're going to be looking at on a Sunday night. And we flick it up here. Uh, thanks, Sue. You there? Coming? Okay. And um, this is where we're going. Tonight we just looked at the double-minded person. Next week we're going to look at the cynical doubter. Then we're going to have a look at the intellectual doubt of the person that has all these questions. You know, where did Cain get his wife? Where, where, you know, all these issues come from? Then we're going to have a look at the naive doubter. Some people are just straight out naive. Other people are willfully ignorant. Other people are twisted, and we'll see that. They've got a, they've got a bent spirit, and that's why they have doubts. Others are moral doubters. Um, they have real problems. Then we're going to end this up by how to put doubt in retreat and how you rescue doubters. That's what we're going to be looking at. And so that's where we're going. And so I don't want any schizophrenics. I'm schizophrenic and so am I. Now, I'm saying that in pun. You, you know what I mean? Is, um, is what I want is I want people who are single-minded. Single-minded. And what will happen, I guarantee you, if you resolve doubts, if you honestly resolve doubts, it will lead you to worship God. That is what we're going to achieve in these weeks to come, where we really worship God and know Him. All right? Good. Let's pray. You doing all right? Good. Father, Lord, I want to thank you tonight. And Father, I just thank you for what we shared here. And Father, I pray, Lord, for your presence, your grace. Lord, be our wisdom walking on the water of this life for us. Come to us. Lord Jesus, Lord, we pray that you would touch our lives. Lord, that we would know you, that we'd be called of you. And Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for that. I just thank you for your presence. I thank you for your grace upon us. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would touch our lives. Touch our lives in these weeks to come. And Father, in what we do. And Lord, we give you all the glory, all the honor. And Father, I just want to thank you. 
I honor you, honor you. I want to praise you tonight. I just thank you for your word and I thank you for your truth. Lord, to you be all the glory. To you be all the honor. To you be all the praise. Amen. Just while everyone's got their eyes shut, just for a moment, just a moment. Just